Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Along with Chris Dorch, I'm Kevin Ingram. And coming up on this week's edition, we will visit with ESPN play-by-play commentator Rich Hollenberg and also Charlotte's Deputy Athletic Director Chris Fuller, who has a crazy story about his school's bus trip to Knoxville, which included barbecue but not necessarily any basketball. So uh, look forward to some terrific guests, and we'll talk about the, the season just getting underway. Chris, what's going on, man? Well, uh, you know, I, like everybody else, have kind of sat on the edge of my seat just waiting to see what would be played and what would be canceled. And I'm just grateful for games. I really am. I'm grateful for the season to have started. I'm grateful that I made a decision to publish a, a book in, in a time like these, and we've sold well and, and uh, had our best November ever. So uh, I'm grateful for all those things, and I'll be even more grateful when – we get a vaccine distributed and we can start uh, kicking uh, COVID's butt instead of the opposite. Yeah, I think that I think everybody is rooting for that. And yeah, the, the book, I, I can speak to it because uh, I've done some games already. And uh, man, it, it comes in handy. You can uh, get details and, and everything on teams that uh, not everybody has the info on. So it is terrific. And you need to go uh, get you a blue ribbon yearbook if you don't have one already. Uh, it has been a, a crazy little stretch here so far. The season officially began last Wednesday, but uh, cancellations, games added, short notice, teams flying all over the place, some arriving and then ha- being sent home after positive COVID test. Chris, you have some of the top teams who've barely played or, or not at all. Tennessee is ranked 13th, but has had its first handful of games wiped out, uh, including what was going to be a, a really fun matchup with Gonzaga and then a trip up to Notre Dame. That's not happening this week. Oregon and Florida State are still both uh, wedding to play their first games. That's among the uh, the top 25 teams. So it's crazy just to try to get it started. Some teams have been okay, been able to play two or three games, and uh, some not so much. And, boy, you hope some of these juicy matchups that we have coming up here in the next couple of days uh, will get played because it's going to be some uh, appointment TV, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm really I'm bummed that Gonzaga and Tennessee didn't get to, to go against each other because – I would have loved to have seen uh, Jalen Suggs versus Keon Johnson or Jaden Springer at, at, at Tennessee, that matchup. Uh, there would have been other matchups too, but Gonzaga just, wow. Uh, Bill Self was shell-shocked. I watched his Zoom press conference after they lost to, to Gonzaga. Gonzaga piled up more than 100 points on him, and they scored 90, and Bill said, I – I can't remember the last time we scored 90 and didn't win a game. So Gonzaga, I think, is is as good as we anticipated when we ranked Blue Ribbon, I mean, ranked Gonzaga number one in the country preseason. And, oh, yeah, they got the little bonus, Andrew Nemhard, day before the season gets eligible, the transfer from Florida, plays 32 minutes in that Kansas game. So he's going to allow Jalen Suggs. Who can do anything? Apparently, yeah. I just real. I just found out he was the first player in Minnesota history to be Mister Football and Mister Basketball in the wow. same season. He played quarterback, cornerback, and wide receiver. Had tons of power conference offers, but decided to play hoops. And wow, he's he's a handful. And if Andrew Nem- Nembard could play the point and allow Jalen Suggs to play off the ball and go get his. It's going to be monstrous. Go look up on YouTube uh, his first collegiate basket. It came off a lob uh, dunk. Unbelievable. 
Top five in the AP poll this week, by the way, uh, Gonzaga number one, then Baylor, Iowa, Wisconsin, and Illinois. As Chris mentioned, the uh, Zags beat Kansas 102 to 90 in that Fort Myers tip off on Thanksgiving and got a Kansas Kentucky matchup coming up. Uh, Kentucky did not play well against Richmond on Sunday. The Spiders carved them up at Rupp Arena 76-64. It was their first road win over a top team, uh, top 10 team in, in the history of the Richmond program. Kentucky went 0 for 10 from three. They turned it over 21 times, and a lot of those were just sloppy plays where guys were standing there holding the ball out, and Richmond just came in from behind and knocked it away and, and gets a layup. Kentucky has a, a tough stretch ahead. They'll play Kansas, Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, UCA, UCLA, and Louisville, and then uh, start SEC play against South Carolina. But John Calipari, as he often does this time of year, has some things to figure out with the with an all-new team uh, taking the floor this year uh, again for Kentucky. Yeah, Tom Leach, the voice of the Wildcats, had me on his show on Friday, and he asked me about Richmond, and I said, well, this is going to be a scary one for the Cats because Richmond uh, is the oldest team in the country, uh, and, and with that age, they're also good. Uh, and I thought, you know, doesn't really spell uh, an easy time for a young team, and it, it did not. Uh, Richmond's been there, done that. I think they have three graduate uh Students in their starting five, uh, they, they had all senior starting five until one of their guards was injured and lost for the season. But yeah, this is a good team. We ranked the, uh, Richmond number 22 preseason ahead of St. Louis out of the A10. We had to pick one of those yeah. in the Atlantic 10. And we just thought with Richmond's experience, uh, so we were right on that call. Uh, so far, a couple of other calls. Not so much, but, you know, it, it's early yet. It's been a pretty good few days uh, for the Atlantic 10 to start out the season. Uh, surprising results so far, San Francisco beating fourth-ranked Virginia 61-60. The Don scored or had a little 8-0 run there toward the end of the game that was key. Virginia Tech beating Villanova on Saturday in overtime 81-73. And a game I watched on Monday night, Eastern Kentucky and Xavier, and uh, in an OVC that's kind of viewed as having the big three of Belmont, Murray State, and Austin P. Eastern Kentucky saying, hey, we got something to say about that. They were really impressive uh, at Xavier. Buzzer beater to get it to overtime. Xavier ended up winning, but uh, the old Colonels gave them about all they wanted up there in Cincinnati. So uh, maybe be on the lookout for EKU. Yeah, I, I think the the league is, is is a little bit tougher than people might think. Tennessee State is a team that I I have felt uh, uh, is 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 a comer under Penny, uh, who who you know so well. Sure. That brings up a question. Uh, you called three Belmont games from the luxury of your man cave. Uh, <laughs> tell us uh, tell us how that worked for you. You know, the theme of our podcast today is kind of you know, changing times, uh, dealing with the conditions. How was that for you? It was okay. Um, I have a little setup here in, in my office, and I, I modified it a bit to, to call some games. It took two laptops, two iPads, a, a mixer, a headphone amp, and two recorders, and, and also an interface that, that goes into my iPad. But we got it done. Um, I, I did the game on Thursday solo on Thanksgiving, and then Greg Sage joined me for the games on, on Friday and Saturday. I patched him in on a Zoom call, basically like we, what you and I are doing here. It, it went fine. It was a very strange experience. I've called over 500 Belmont games in, in 18 seasons. Uh, this is my 18th year. And uh, that was these were the first ones that I called that I didn't actually see in person. 
there are so many things that you just can't see watching it on TV. Now, I was kind of at the mercy of the ESPN3 feed, which which was fine. I mean, overall, the broadcast was good, and they stayed on top of the score bug and those things, and it only froze up over a three-day span and only froze up probably two or three times, which I, I thought uh, that that's a, that's a success as far as I'm concerned. But there's so many things you just can't see that you can when you're there, um, including who's coming in and who's going out of the game in terms of subs. You know, I like to be able to see the entire court to see who's out there at a particular time. And at times you can only see two or three guys and you try to sort of set things as they're bringing it up the court. But uh, it was a challenging experience. It went okay. I went back and listened. The one thing I didn't have was any sort of nat sound, like, you know, just the sound of, of the gym and what was going on. I went online and, and thought, you know, maybe I'll, I'll roll in some uh, some recorded sound, you know, patch, you know, pipe in some noise. And uh, I never could find anything that worked. I, I found, you know, a few tracks of uh, arena sounds but you know playing it in, a, in an empty convention center that didn't make a whole lot of sense and you had whistles and horns and things that didn't really go with what was going on with the game so i sort of did it dry but uh, a long way of answering your question it was a new and unique experience i hope i don't have to do too much of that but uh, it's kind of what you you just go with it in, in 2020 we weren't able to make the trip up to dc with the team but they, they played pretty well over three days uh, they took nine players and came home with three wins so I would say Casey Alexander would take that, and one of them over an A-10 team in George Mason, which they uh, beat in the second game on Friday. You're right. The theme of our podcast this week is doing things a little differently and thinking differently to start this basketball season, and uh, that's really what we have coming up with our our two guests today. Chris, we're going to start with Rich Hollenberg. You and I have have gotten to know Rich uh, well over the years. He's done quite a few of the the Belmont games that that I've done for ESPN or or the U or ESPN2 or whatever, and uh, he does a lot of Big 12 games. Really, really good guy. He made the trip up to South Dakota for the tournament up there. Uh, went from Florida to South Dakota and then, then back home and, and did it all safely. And as we'll hear in the interview, uh, it sounded like, Chris, that they just did a great job putting that thing on, especially with the revolving door of teams that they had over the span of a, you know just a few days there. Yeah, we talked about this in the run-up to the season. The, the places that could successfully – have basketball uh, partner with medical centers. And they did that in Sioux Falls, and they've done that in, in, in Uncasville, Connecticut, and uh, the Mohegan Sun. So, you know, I think right now, and I applaud, for example, Jay Wright at Villanova. They had an opportunity to squeeze in a game against a tricky Virginia Tech team, which is always going to be well coached by Mike Young. And sure enough, they got beat, but I think Jay Wright would tell you, I'd rather get games in sure. uh, and, and lose and be able to have some teaching moments than not play at all and, and go long stretches without within activity. So, yeah, I think we'll get a season in if, if people are crafty and patient uh, and resourceful. Let's bring in Rich Hollenberg from ESPN. Excellent play-by-play voice. He joins us now. Rich, how you doing, man? Uh, I'm outstanding. I, I just got back from a basketball tournament, and that's more than I thought I'd be able to say at this point. In the season. <laughs> yeah, it's a, probably going from, what, Florida to South Dakota back to Florida. That, that's an interesting uh, set, set of travels, isn't it? It, it is. And you know what? All, all kidding aside, outside of all the ramifications for basketball and what we're going through as a country and an industry, um, I, I'm a big travel buff. And uh, South Dakota was one of the five states – that I haven't been to in my life yet. So I got to check that box on the personal side too. So I was kind of psyched about that as well. Rich, um, 
you were kind enough to zoom into my sports writing class at, at the University of Tennessee, and you had told us that you were being outfitted possibly for work in your home. And so I was sort of surprised that, that they sent you to South Dakota and you called a half dozen games. Uh, and then I'm watching the Maui in Asheville and I see where Bill Walton's like in a tent in, in San Diego and, and uh, so some of the other announcers are from working from home. How did you get the call to, to actually travel? You know, I think the the linchpin to this whole effort being pulled off, Chris, was the fact that it was in Sioux Falls. And this was supposed to be the battle for Atlantis. And that was off the table almost immediately, just like the Maui Invitational was, for obvious reasons. But when they decided to transplant it to Sioux Falls... Sanford Health got involved, and their company is based in Sioux Falls. The facilities they have there, I don't know if either of you have been there, but the facilities for a, a fairly remote part of the country, if we're being honest, yeah, was absolutely remarkable. I wish I could go and call games in that gym every single year. <laughs> it, and not only just that gym, the Sanford Pentagon is great. It's a. It's meant to be a throwback gymnasium. Yeah. They've kind of retrofitted everything in there. But Sanford Health has built a sports complex with the Pentagon as kind of the center focal point of that. But they have a field house there that's for athletic training of all sports, football, baseball, basketball, you name it. They have uh, activities for youth sports. It is just a tremendous facility overall. And once Sanford Health got involved, uh, I remember listening in on Greg McDermott, the head coach of Creighton's press conferences leading up. They were supposed to be in the tournament. And then because of some COVID protocols, they had to pull out amongst so many teams that did. But Greg was saying, we're 100% confident going there. We right. feel like we're going to the safest place in the country. Wow. And I'll be honest with you guys, I haven't been many places since last March. But uh, I kind of felt the same way once I was there. Right. You felt like you were relatively incubated. You didn't feel like you were in a bubble per se, but we didn't live the same existence over those four, five, six days that the teams and the officials did and to the extent that they were in one hotel. They got their charter flight into Sioux Falls. They were immediately whisked on a bus to COVID testing from COVID testing taken to the hotel. And just like you heard in the NBA, they were fed their meals at their door. They did not leave their rooms unless it was time to meet with the team and or go to the Sanford, yeah. Sanford Pentagon to play those games. So 800 COVID tests later, hmm. uh, the Sanford Pentagon pulled it off. Complete sports management pulled it off. Leah Miller is one of the big time bosses in college sports. And if you don't know Leah, she's the one who really organizes all of these or a lot of these multi-team events. And she is an absolute rock star being able to pull together eight teams and eight good teams, despite the fact that all these teams were falling out like dominoes. And every time a team did pull out, you felt like, well, that's the last chip and we're going to be getting that cancellation call uh, any day now. And it never came. So I was all in right when baseball season ended and I covered the Tampa Bay Rays. So my season ended a little bit later than most. But the day after my season ending, I got a call from David Seisler, who's my boss at ESPN, saying, 
One, are you available Thanksgiving? Two, are you okay with travel? And it was a resounding yes for me to both of those answers. And I was happy to go out there and do it and very fortunate that we had a good tournament on our hands. Rich, uh, West Virginia won the whole thing. Uh, what impressed you about Bob Huggins' team? The same thing that impresses me about Bob's teams all the time. They're not going to win pretty. As a matter of fact, uh, and I don't know if we'll get into it in this conversation, but they will play anybody, anywhere, anytime. Mm-hmm. And they will be playing the best team in the country in Gonzaga tomorrow night in Indy. Um, they don't play the prettiest band of, brand of basketball. And I'm a big Bob Huggins fan. I'm a big West Virginia fan. I might have called more West Virginia games in my 11 years working for ESPN than any other team in the country. So I'm very familiar with Bob and the way he likes to play. Uh, this team is much more talented than any of the teams he's had in, like, I would say the last three or four years, ever since Javon Carter left. Um, that said, they're not going to win a lot of games by scoring 85, 90 points. They're, if they score 75 points a game, they're going to win a lot of ball games right. because they're not going to allow 70 points a game very often. And uh, their rebounding is just something that you don't see a lot of in college basketball anymore. Derek Culver and Oscar Shibwe, when they are together on the floor, are an absolute handful and a nightmare for teams to match up with. The big key for Bob this year is the same as it has been in years past. If they can get some outside offense, some jump shooting, some three-point shooting consistently, they could be Final Four good because they'll lock you down on defense and they'll get almost all of their misses on offense. My alma mater, Western Kentucky, uh, made a nice showing, uh, including that semifinal oh, win against yeah. Memphis. And I, I appreciated the shout-out to the uh, the 93 game in the NCAA tournament. I was at that game. I was a senior at Western that year, and uh, my buddies and I went to Orlando and, and saw those games where they beat Memphis State with Penny Hardaway, and then they beat Seton Hall in the next game to go to the uh, to the uh, Sweet 16. But uh, this, this group of Hilltoppers, a pretty experienced team. they got a terrific big man in Charles Bassey. It looks like it could be a, a nice season for Rick Stansberry's group. You know what? First off, First off, and probably most important, thank you for watching and for paying attention. <laughs> because we did mention that in that semifinal game between Western Kentucky and Memphis. Um, I'm, I'm really impressed with Memphis. Uh, I think they're a top 25 team when it's all said and done if the season continues on. Uh, but to your point, I think Western Kentucky is the same thing I thought they were two years ago. I called that game two years ago in Myrtle Beach when Charles Bassey was a freshman and had literally one college basketball game under his belt before going to Myrtle Beach and taking on Sagaba Kanate and Western and West Virginia. And they beat West Virginia that year. They had Josh Anderson, they had Tavion Hollingsworth, and they had Charles Bassey. And those three guys were major factors in this tournament this year in Sioux Falls. I love the the roster that Rick Stansbury has put together. He brought over a Davidson transfer and Luke Frampton, who is an absolute sniper from three-point range and he's going to have a ton of opportunities to score the ball with Rick and the way they play offense because Rick is more aggressive offensively than any team that I've seen in recent years the biggest stat and we've talked about this in our game so forgive me if you're hearing it again repeatedly they made more free throws than their other opponents have attempted over a year-long basis last year. It's one thing to do it once or twice in a season, but they they made 136 more free throws than their opposition cumulatively attempted. 
That usually translates into wins. I think they're going to win their conference for sure, and they're going to be an absolute nightmare if there is an NCAA tournament played. I think they're a Sweet 16 caliber team. Charles Bassey needs to man up just a little bit and get a little bit more aggressive on the offensive end. He'll be a lottery pick because he runs the floor like a gazelle. He's got amazing defensive instincts, which you can coach, but he was born with certain athletic abilities that allow him to be a menace on the defensive end. He had seven blocks against Memphis in that semifinal game. So I'm all in uh, on the Hilltoppers this year especially, and I have been for the last couple of years. Rich, uh, you know, you've, you've actually been out there in the wild, wild west, so to speak. I know it's impossible to forecast because we don't know what the virus is going to do, but what do you think December holds? Um, I forgot who it was. Somebody told us off the record. <laughs> I'm not going to say who it is, but that they had dire uh, predictions for December games. Uh, do you think if everybody was as together as Sioux Falls that, that we could get this done? It's funny you phrase it that way, Chris, because I feel like as I was calling these six games that I had over the course of three days, the the thought that kept ruminating in my head was, why aren't we doing more of this? Yeah. And you see Villanova camping out in Uncasville and yep. staying in Bubbleville to play as many extra games as they can. I don't see why. And maybe there are plans going on kind of behind the scenes that we don't know about yet for conference play or anything else. But maybe there have been some conversations ongoing that haven't yet been publicized about teams and conferences doing more of this. I think the bubble has proven that it can and will work. It worked in the TBT tournament. It worked in the NBA playoffs and it worked at in, uh, in Connecticut and it worked where I was in, in Sioux Falls. So I don't see why they can't arrange for those type of things to happen, even if it's four teams and you play three games, you know, instead of eight teams and you play it in a tournament style, just do a round robin and let those four teams play each other and knock out three games like that. Yeah. Um, it, easier said than done, and those decisions are made at a pay grade and a brain capacity grade much higher <laughs> than mine. Uh, but I, I certainly think that it's doable at this point, I'm, I just keep telling myself to be grateful. Grateful for any game that I get to call. Grateful for any game I get to watch on TV. And there's some dynamite basketball that's about to be played. Um, you know, Texas and Indiana and obviously the Champions Classic coming up tonight from Cameron Indoor and from Indianapolis. Uh, I'm just grateful that there is basketball being played. And I have no idea what December is going to look like. It's crazy that it's December 1st already, isn't it? it and is. it feels it really like is. we've already played two months worth of basketball <laughs> because everyone's so stressed about how we're going to pull this off. But somehow, some way, we're getting games. Yeah. And the key is all of the teams that used to be able to fall back on their legacy, so to speak, the Dukes, the Syracuses, teams like that, you know, the knock on them was, oh, Mike Krzyzewski won't play anybody outside of Maui or MSG or Cameron Indoor. Oh, yeah. Jim Beheim will never leave the state of New York. He'll make everyone come up to the Carrier Dome. If everybody could agree that we'll play any game at any time yeah. just to get some games under our belts, then I think December will see its 
fair share or at least enough games yeah. to satisfy not only the NCAA, but basketball fans like you and all of us. That's a very good point. And, and you know, Villanova took that game against Virginia Tech, and it's basically like a NCAA tournament situation where you've got short prep, but they took it anyway because they knew they had to get games where they could. They, they got beat, but I would venture to say that Jay Wright would rather play that one and lost than not have an opportunity for his team to grow this early in the season. A- absolutely. And Jay's a guy, listen, I had the Myrtle Beach Classic last year where Jay made it to the finals with that Villanova team and they lost to Baylor. That's a final four matchup. Mm-hmm. And that was in a non-COVID time. So Jay is one of those coaches that's proven, you know, if the field is good, if it's worth it for my team, which means is my team going to be better for playing in this tournament or in this bubble now to use today's parlance? Uh, I think he'll do it. I think Scott Drew and the Baylor Bears have proven that even though things didn't work out because Scott tested positive initially, they're still pushing forward. And that's the thing is you have to be proactive and aggressive. You can't really be as reactionary as you would in games or in seasons past where, well, let's just see how it plays out. No, you have to get games on your schedule. And I feel bad for all the Dobos out there, the director of basketball operations, (laughs) who alongside the head coaches are trying to schedule these games. That's why I mentioned Leah Miller's name. She's got to go down as one of the unsung heroes in college basketball. Put it this way, West Virginia, who ended up winning the tournament, the crossover class, they had to prepare for – four teams before the tournament even started, not because they were anticipating who they were playing because all of those teams had to pull out as, as the tournament was counting down to tipping off. They were supposed to play three different teams until they got to their first round game. And then they finally ended up facing South Dakota state, who is not an easy out, but they thought they were playing Northern Iowa. They ended up not playing them. They thought they were playing Texas A&M. They didn't end up playing them. So Bob Huggins is one of those guys also, tip of the cap. We'll play anyone, anytime, we're all in. And people like Liam Miller have a really impressive Rolodex on their iPhones so that when one team pulls out, she gets on there, dials up another team. If they're available and are willing to do it, they were in. And VCU was one of those teams. 48-hour turnaround between when Wichita State had to cancel, landed in Sioux Falls, tested positive, you're out, Twenty-four hours later, VCU was on a plane headed to Sioux Falls. Unbelievable! It, it really is. It's it's a crazy time for everybody, and uh, yeah, I don't envy the folks trying to to figure all this stuff stuff out. Rich, uh, man, say, thank you so much for the time. Safe travels to you. Enjoyed watching the games that you did in Sioux Falls with Dan, and uh, it was terrific. And it's just great to see some hoops again. We we'll hope we can catch up with you again down the road. Guys, this is never far from my reach. Me either. <laughs> it's it's the Bible for everybody. Chris Dorch's Blue Ribbon Yearbook. I know if you're listening, you can't see me, but I'm holding up. I take it everywhere with me, especially this year and especially at this time of year. It's always a pleasure chatting with you guys. very kind, sir. Thank you. That was Rich Hollenberg, outstanding play-by-play announcer for ESPN. And uh, as I said off the top, one of the real nice guys in the business. So we appreciate him spending a few minutes with us and describing his experience of his trip to South Dakota for a few games over the Thanksgiving holiday. Chris, our next guest is a guy I know you know well from time at at different stops, including Tennessee, but uh, Chris Fuller joins us now. He is the Deputy Athletics Director at Charlotte, 
And Chris, he has some interesting stories to tell as well. He does. Chris is one of the best guys in college athletics, uh, principled, smart, and loves basketball, and, and funny as heck, too. Uh, he does. <laughs> He definitely has had an odyssey over the last few days for sure. No doubt about it. Here he is, Chris Fuller from Charlotte, the Deputy Athletic Director. Chris, thank you for joining us for a few minutes here. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. Um, For those who don't know Chris, uh, and most people know Chris in college athletics, but he's been at Syracuse. And before that, he was at Tennessee where he was intimately involved in the basketball program. And I know he is at his new job. you, I think Charlotte, Charlotte's basketball program exemplifies the insanity uh, that we're about to go through. You all were scheduled to play in an MTE at Tennessee with VCU in Tennessee. Then Rick Barnes uh, gets the virus. They have to cancel. And then you immediately have to start your own MTE, right? <laughs> uh, tell us how that went. Yeah, Chris, it was into to, to – um... To Tennessee's credit, I really appreciate. You know, I was I was about to pull out of my driveway eight thirty last Monday morning, and Reed Sigmund called and said, "Hey, we've got we've got some positive cases. If you guys want to wait to travel until Tuesday, we'll we'll make that exception." And we sort of said, "Hey, you know, we talked it over. We were supposed to leave at nine thirty, so we decided to to move in that direction, thinking." Hey, worst comes to worst, we may still have, have an opportunity to play VCU over there. So we took off and, um, of course, by the time we were a half hour outside of Knoxville, Chris, we were, wow. we had, we had gotten word, you know, here we are rolling in on two buses and, and we had gotten word that, um, it was likely that Tennessee was going to shut down. So we, <laughs> we pulled into, uh, Thompson Bowling Arena. We got our COVID tests. We picked up lunch from Dead End Barbecue, and then we turned around and went back home. Oh man! And not to not to mention this this always happens, you know. Uh, one of our bus drivers timed out, so we had to drive to Johnson City and promptly spend a little over two hours in the parking lot of a Dollar General in Johnson City waiting for a replacement bus driver to come in and reel us in. So it it was an interesting start. Um, Of course, you got some dead-end barbecue out of the deal. Hey, I I told uh, those guys after the fact, because I love dead-end barbecue, I said the only thing that would have been more appropriate if it was named End of the World Barbecue. (laughs) (laughs) So, so you don't have your CDL or anything like that? You couldn't just hop up there in the seat and, and drive the bus back to Charlotte? You know, Chris knows this about me. I was actually a teamster for six years. Um, <laughs> I can say because it has passed the statute of limitations that every time I drove a vehicle as a teamster, it was unlawful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did not have that license. <laughs> I'd be a little scary jumping up behind the wheel of one of those buses. Yeah, I think I think the uh, contingent that was left with me was more than content to hang out at, in the parking lot of Dollar General before they let me drive that thing. So, uh, but the the other benefit, you know, Cody Kimball, he's one of our assistant coaches, was on the other bus that we sent ahead, and he and I ended up having all that time to start calling people and. Yeah. 
And, and that's, that's what was going on because you look at ECU, ECU had lost three games right. in an MTE. So they're trying to find multiple games. So right, East Carolina. Yes. Yeah. So we, we, you know, we touched base with VCU right away uh, and talked about options there. And of course they ended up having an opportunity to go play at uh, the bad boy event out in uh, South Dakota. So they did that. And we started talking seriously with, you know, ECU, we had just over the last three, four weeks um, pushed a game that we had scheduled with them this year in Charlotte to next year based on the American, the Americans conference scheduling went to 20 conference games and four non-conference games. So we had just agreed to push that game. So in a way we were just pulling it back up into this year we knew ECU was trying to get multiple games. We were playing Belmont Abbey on Monday. So we reached out to Belmont Abbey and tried to pull everybody together in a way that would give ECU two games. And, and we would only pick up one, but it made sense for us to do that and be at home. We were, we were uh, determined not to go through a commercial airport at right. this point. And it has less to do with the safety of the planes and more to do with the safety of getting to the plane. Sure. Wow. Did, did, well, and then ironically, Belmont Abbey then. Uh, yeah, and, I, and, and those guys were great. I feel awful for them. Um, you know, I was in the building um, on, I guess it would have been, uh, I don't even know now, Friday or Saturday when they were getting tested. They really wanted to play. And, um, you know, just from a contact tracing standpoint, we had a, enough smoke there to think this isn't and, and of course ECU made the decision on their Saturday game and said hey we we're not comfortable we we wrote it out through the contact tracing because those guys really wanted to play and um you know they're great folks um so you know we kept the door open that we may have an opportunity to reschedule them they're they're really close geographically and like I said we're we're looking for drive two games not commercial flights right now chris when you kind of look at you're just trying to play a non-conference schedule is it hard to figure out just what's realistic to try to figure out how many games you can actually get in before you get into your conference slate you know i made an analogy the other day it's almost like booking air travel right now you overbook right yeah they overbook and and you hope you're going to get your games in but i but i i made a comment last week to to a media person they, they asked me Chris, do you think we're going to be able to finish this basketball season? And then I, my response was, I think the more appropriate question is, are we going to be able to start it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I think finishing it is almost existential, right? We, we can't have a second year where there's not an NCAA tournament. Um, but the question is, when you see, Chris knows this better than I do, it's probably close to 50 men's basketball programs that are paused right now. And so, you know, I think it's, um, it, it's, it's a, it's a challenge, not only to, to find games, but to keep asking yourself, should we, should we keep going down this path? Do you, do you think there are a lot of programs that, that are kind of where you guys are in terms of air travel and that you just don't want to get on a plane and go somewhere if you don't have to try to keep it really low, close to home or at least as much as you possibly can? I think so. Based on the folks we talked to and the other ADs we talked to, I think a lot of people are sort of in that mode. And, um, 
you know, we're not hesitant to play anybody in those, in that driving radius. So we had a whole lot of conversations before we put all that together with, with ECU. And I, I do, I think there should be some hesitancy to fly commercial. Now, now some of these programs have more wherewithal to charter flights too. And I think that's a different scenario altogether. I noticed looking at your schedule, exactly what you said. You've got Georgia State, South Carolina State, Appalachian State at Davidson, North Carolina A&T at G-Dub, Western Kentucky. So that's all buses, right? Yeah, it is, Chris. And we've for both our men's and women's programs, even when we get into our conference schedule, we'll take two charter trips with each of the men and the women because each of those teams have to go to Florida and they have to go to Texas once. We'll charter those trips. Everything else will pretty much be a bus trip. Right. Chris, when you, you look ahead and you know, there's all the talk about the potential for a vaccine, how, how much could that be a game changer for this entire season for college athletics? Man, it's, it's good that help is on the way. And I think, I think it absolutely can be a game changer. Now it's all going to be dependent on distribution and how quickly we can get it. And, and look, I, you know, I think there's a great deal of sensitivity in the athletics community too about we shouldn't be prioritized above um, frontline medical people. We shouldn't be prioritized among teachers, first responders. You know, our, I can tell you to a person that that's where we'd say, Hey, let's focus the attention on those folks on the front lines first. And, and if there's an opportunity for um, the vaccine to impact the back half of the college basketball season, that's sort of icing on the cake, but that, that shouldn't be the priority. Chris, I don't want to let you go without asking you about your head basketball coach. I know that you love Ron Sanchez. Great hire. Tell us about him. Of course, he came from uh, Tony Bennett's excellent staff at Virginia. Yeah, you know, Chris, I've had an opportunity to work with some tremendous coaches at a, at a number of places. And um, Ron Sanchez is a phenomenal basketball coach, but it pales in comparison to what kind of person he is um, and the kind of culture that he's building. Listen, you know, I've, you and I have had this conversation before college athletics has become a king making business, right? You're, um, you're going to pay someone millions and millions of dollars to do something. Basically all of us would do for free. The, the ones that are really passionate about the sport. So I, without even the intention of doing it, a lot of times that becomes people start reading their press clippings and believing it all and ego gets involved. And Ron's just a really special human being, grew up in the Dominican Republic, uh, one of 10 children, I believe. Um, one of his sayings is, um, you know, he likes to take the stairs. Um, you, you learn more from the journey up the stairs than you do if you try to fast track it with an elevator, but he's, um, and he's been, you know, when you're in situations like this and you're trying to pull rabbits out of hats, um, who's sitting in that chair <laughs> really determines how far you want to go down that path. Uh, but he's tremendous. He's got a great staff. And, of course, we were down um, two assistant coaches this week as well. So that was a, a new experience for him. But he and I spent about an hour together talking about, just what I observe, what we observe through that first basketball game, you know, 
how do you get your player's attention on the court without unmasking yourself, right? Because honestly, if you pull down your mask and yell, we've sort of defeated the purpose, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which a lot so, of coaches have done in games I've seen. And it's just these, you know, these conversations that, that Ron and I are, are able to have are um, because of who he is as a leader and his humility uh, and his character. Well, Chris, uh, here, here's hoping for a safe season for you guys, and hopefully you get into as many games as you possibly can. Really appreciate the time. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure to be with you guys and hope uh, our paths cross again soon. That was Chris Fuller, Deputy Athletic Director at Charlotte, describing an interesting few days for his athletic program and certainly their basketball program, including a trip to Knoxville for games that didn't happen. They had to swap out bus drivers, but they got some good barbecue out of the deal. So uh, maybe it all wasn't lost on their trip over to East Tennessee. Chris, as we finish up, let's talk about what I termed in our rundown, hairy situations. Now, you have South Carolina's Frank Martin, who usually has the well-manicured salt-and-pepper hair looking good, but due to COVID uh, back earlier in the year, he said it started falling out, and so he shaved his head. He says he's open to, to regrowing it and bringing back the hair product. And then you have Shaka Smart of Texas. Who knew he could grow hair like that? Yeah, you know, the, with, with Frank Martin, uh, he's uh, I think has alopecia. And I read about that because I never really knew much about it and can cause baldness, but uh, anxiety yes. <laughs> can bring it on. And Lord knows uh, these are anxious times. Uh, Frank himself has had COVID and I talked to him about it and he didn't really feel any symptoms, but he said he just felt off, you know, he couldn't quite figure it out or put his finger on it. So, and then, you always knew that shock had, you could see his hairline. Yeah. But it's like, uh, for, I think Dick Vitalis said this before, like, why would you want to, why would you want to go bald if you've got hair, baby? But, uh, <laughs> you, you know, he, he had a hairline, but I mean, he looks like he's a kid now. He does. Uh, but what a head of hair. And, and, you know, why would you, I don't know. I, I'm fortunate enough to still have my hair and, uh, I would never think about intentionally shaving it off, but he did that for years. That was his look, and now he looks, you know, pretty cool. He does. Uh, I, if you had told me that was Shaka Smart under the mask, I would not have believed that. I, I wondered who it was at first, and I realized that, that is Shaka. Dang, I'd heard he'd let his hair grow, and wow, what a change. And no gray either. Yeah, unlike uh, you and I. Well, I can't speak yeah, for you, exactly. but, but me certainly. I, I don't seem to have as much hair as I used to. I have more forehead than I used to have. Um, I, I've taken to cutting my own hair over the course of the uh, the COVID situation here the last few months. It's gone mostly well, except for one minor accident in June, which uh, resulted in me cutting my hair very, very short, much shorter than I was uh, hoping to. But uh, it, it's all mostly grown back. So. Braver man than I. Yeah. I get my daughter to do mine, and she's... She's actually starting to get the hang of it. <laughs> yeah, after I, I've probably cut mine about I don't know ten or fifteen times, and uh, I've, I've sort of gotten the hang of it too. Uh, it's wow. not exactly the quality of somebody who has a, you know a license to do those sorts of things, but uh, I guess it gets the job done. I saw an interview the other day with George Clooney, and he was saying, and I'm not sure if I believe this or not, that he cuts his own hair with a floby. And I say, I don't know if I buy that or not. That that looks, his hair looks a little too nice for him to be cutting it at home with a floby. He said he'd been doing it for years. Uh, if that's the case, I guess that's how you get enough money to where you can give your 14 or 15 best friends each a million dollars. A million bucks? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. 
uh, I would say that that he could he could fork out for uh, one of those hundred and fifty dollar jobs haircuts. Yeah, if he somebody to. come over to the house and, and take care of that for you. But uh, yeah, it, it, Chris, if I had the dough, you would be on my list of, of fourteen or fifteen friends to give a million dollars. So uh, I, you, you, as just, well, you just keep that friend. in mind, okay? Yep, yep. Um, I'm not holding my breath on either of us getting it. <laughs> you never but know. If I do, I'm sending you a check. All right, sounds good. We'll do it again next time. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. This is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Thanks, as always, to Chris, and we'll talk to you soon.